There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com. 18 plus begambleaware.org T's and C's apply This is a game day podcast from TalkSport Hello and welcome to the Game Day Podcast from TalkSport with me, Sam Matterface, the assistant editor of The Mirror, Darren Lewis and TalkSport's Trevor Sinclair This week, just one Saturday game but it was a bit of a belter The only surviving Premier League fixture today testing times for one and all but the show goes on at Ellen Road. Lacazette is in here with a great chance. Melier's made a save. It's turned just wide. What a chance. Here's Lacazette just outside the penalty area. Trying to feed the uh, supporting Erdegaard. Down he goes. It's come for Martinelli. Arsenal lead in Ellen Road. Also, Tuchel is furious that Chelsea had to play Wolves. He was even less happy after the result. Kane escapes a red against the Reds. Xhaka evades one. And Newcastle got hammered at home by Manchester City. We'll go through it all and the latest on whether or not it's going to shut down or not. It's all the Game Day podcast from TalkSport. This is Game Day. Darren Lewis and Trevor Sinclair are here. Hello, gentlemen. Are we okay? Very, very well indeed. Good. All good, Sam. Thank you. Nice All to good. see you both. Um, right, OK, so let's uh, start off by talking about the fact that uh, most of the games this weekend, it was the majority of them, uh, were called off because of COVID-19 reasons. So many discussions uh, in the papers over the course of the weekend about whether or not there's going to be a fire break, uh, whether vaccination should be forced on players, whether players that aren't vaccinated are going to be used anymore, whether that we just keep going because it's going to cost the league too much. Obviously, there's so much to consider here, not only from a personal uh, health perspective, a health and safety perspective and from a uh, financial perspective because they're very worried the clubs about losing so much money as they did in the previous shutdown when they lost two billion uh, between them Uh, but Darren you've been involved in the Premier League briefing about what constitutes uh, a game that can be postponed and what can't we'll talk about the Chelsea situation in isolation when we do Chelsea Wolves a little bit later on but let's just talk in general about what we think is going to happen next What, what do you reckon? Well, um, what I think will happen next is that when they have the meeting tomorrow, they're going to realise that it has looked like a disaster over the past week. I can't remember anything like the on the hoof decision making that we've seen over the past seven days. And I think a lot of, not just from a, a, a observer's point of view, but from the point of view of the Brentford, the Man United fans, who had to just abandon their preparations around about midnight last Monday. From the point of view of the Burnley and Aston Villa fans who'd made provisions, spent money in in believing that they'd be watching a game on Saturday afternoon. And the other fans who don't know from one day to the next whether or not they're going to be going to the games that they've paid for tickets for, paid for travel for, made arrangements to attend, 
football keeps saying that the fans are the most important people in the game. And yet the disrespect that football fans get treated with is just horrendous. And I think football at this meeting is going to have to address that because it won't be the case that they'll close the, the doors and, play, and, and that football fans may well make that decision for the game if they don't get their act together. I know, yeah, I know you wanted me to sort of talk about the specifics, but I just wanted to make that initial point because mm. I think it's been... Absolutely. I know City fans, so, you know, and, and you know Chelsea fans, they, 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 last Thursday, they didn't know what was going on. Everybody's starting to expect things to get ripped up with five minutes notice. Surely as a very basic thing, top of that agenda is uh, for the Premier League uh, shareholders is this is a bad look for our game. Yeah, and then Trevor, that is the key point, isn't it? Because if you just focus on one game in particular, the Aston Villa-Burnley game, which was called off with two hours and 15 minutes notice, there were people that had made journeys from a long way out to try and get to Aston Villa. Maybe because of the nature of the time of the year, there were a lot of families that were going there, some for the first time taking their kids to, to football matches as a Christmas treat, and that all was denied to them, when really we knew that there was a possibility because Stephen Gerrard said in the press conference on Friday, I'm speaking to the doctor more often than I'm speaking to my wife. I don't want to pick up the phone at the moment because every time I do, somebody else has got COVID. Yeah, I think reading between the lines for us who are involved in the game, involved in media, go to games week in, week out, we can read between the lines and say, and think for ourselves and think, you know what, this game might not be on. A lot of fans just like to go to games, enjoy the entertainment and go home and talk about it and, and all the rest of it. They're not aware that games may be cancelled so I think the clubs could have done a bit more, but I agree with Darren. You know, they're the ones that are getting overlooked once again. And that shouldn't be the case because we all know how important fans are. You know, we've seen what we had to see last season with the with the uh, breaks and, and the no fans in stadiums. And it, you know, listen, the players did brilliantly. They did their best, but it wasn't the sport that we fell in love with. So they've got to be paramount for me. Um, I'm not sure what Richard Masters is doing at the, at the Premier League because when you look at UEFA, there's a strict code um, which is 14 players um, over here. We're not sure what that is. There's no clarity. There's no fairness, no, no consistency, it seems. And uh, this is why I think a lot of people are asking questions. What the hell is going on? Now, this meeting tomorrow that takes place, it's the stakeholders, it's the Premier League. Hopefully we'll get something in stone where we know and the players know and the clubs know. If you've got a certain amount of players fit, um, you can play the game. If you've not, you can't. And that just simplifies everything because at the moment, I think there's there's bias and some clubs are getting preferential or, treatment. Or, or even if there's not bias, which I'm sure the Premier League would say that they are not biased in any way, shape or form. There is the impression that it is one rule for one, one rule for exactly. another. Uh, Karen Brady in a column on Saturday suggested that it was 14 players that had to be available. Um, if that was not the case, then the games could be postponed. You sat through a Premier League briefing, Darren. Is that what you were made aware of? Yeah, they, we were pointed to Appendix 17 of the rules, which say, uh, talk around squad management protocols. If there are 14 players or more, then the expectation is to play the game. But there are areas that they will look at, and they include medical outbreaks, um, and, and all the discussions are being held with professionals in relation to decision-making in those scenarios. If your training ground is closed, they will also consider that, because obviously if your ground is closed, you can't prepare for the game. And they're all the decisions are being taken on a case-by-case -case basis, and I think that's the problem. 
that is the problem because that leaves them open to charges of favoritism in certain cases. And it may, and like you just said, it may be speculation from the fans. Take that speculation away, so yes. everybody knows, and and it's very very um, clear what to expect in different scenarios. And then fans won't go, won't travel because they'll think, you know what, there's a chance this game might not be on, and they can make that choice. And this is the point because at the moment. What you've got is a situation where fans are already shelling out money they can't get back. And in and some cases, you know, they save up the money to be able to do these things. And yet the, the, the people who run the game, they're not showing enough leadership. And mm. leadership is about taking decisions that might not necessarily be popular, but in the longer term, it, they're for the greater good. And if you do take that break, I heard you once, Sam, the last few days saying that if you take that break, if they'd done it already, they'd probably have been back by now for Boxing Day. Yeah. And then you would have been able to stage a program of fixtures, but break the transmission rate. As things stand now, you've got a situation where we're still asking people to pack into stadium, tens of thousands of people, when the chief medical officer is saying, we do not think you should be going out cancel your Christmas parties. Okay, I know there's mixed messages from the Prime Minister, but the people who know, the people whose job it is to know, are coming out and saying, don't mix. But yet we're expecting people to mix. What what mixed messages are they, Darren? (laughs) (laughs) Fancy going to do a Christmas party trip. (laughs) Anyone got any cheese or wine? Uh, I'll do a quiz. Um, According to reports yesterday, the Premier League has warned that unvaccinated players... If they don't get jabbed, there is a potential the season might not finish. Darren, from what you understand, is that a possibility? Yes and no. Um, I I think it is going to continue to be an issue, but Richard Masters has written to all of the 20 Premier League League clubs saying the season has to finish, full stop. So So that could be behind closed doors if indeed um, they feel that that is necessary. Yeah, but... No, No fan wants that. No fan wants that, but at the same time, no fan wants to be on the ventilator. No fan wants to be in a situation where their loved ones are are ill. And I saw Stan Collymore writing in a column uh, for our paper today, and he was saying, I played on Boxing Day. You know, I played throughout the Christmas period. But what I don't want us to do after this whole thing is over is turn around and say one single person lost their life because we wanted to continue with tradition. I couldn't. I couldn't. I couldn't get on Thursday night after what we'd heard from the, the the medical experts that the games were still going ahead. And I was in the Liverpool stadium. It was sort of almost poignant for me because that was the scene of the Atletico Madrid game, which was blamed for so many positive mm. um, tests in the aftermath of that Champions League match shortly before the first lockdown. And I thought, has anyone actually thought about this? You've got. You've got the, uh, the 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 chair of the uh, NHS primary care facility saying you should not be going to football matches, and because nobody has actually got the balls to turn around and actually say that from a governmental point of view or a governance point of view, and the Premier League obviously are taking their guidance from the, the government, we're in a situation where a lot of people will be going to matches this weekend. And transmission will come from that. There's, there is no it's, doubt. It's almost like, Sam, it's almost like, you know, we made the mistakes. We look back on the mistakes last year, um, which potentially, you know, not just the Liverpool game, but you also look at the racing, you look at the rugby, yeah. huge, huge events, you know, a quarter, quarter of a million people down watching the racing. And then all of a sudden, it's almost like it's been wiped from our memory and we're not going to learn from our mistakes. 
And that, that just seems like ridiculous, a ridiculous decision to make. 100%. And I, I, I go on top of that. You know, some of these decisions are being governed by finance rather than by health. Everyone is telling us that they care so much about uh, fans and ordinary people, but then they are keeping open what many people would describe as the super spreader events to encourage the transmission rate. You know, all this talk about social distancing at football matches and players have to be careful of their celebrations. We are still seeing players run into the fans, hugging. We are see- I've seen fa- players giving shirts to fans at the end of games, for goodness sake. And we're talking about everything being observed. When people say things are being observed, in a lot of cases, they mean we've got a bit of hand sanitizer. We've got a few signs else you know, around the place saying wear a mask and socially distance. But how rigidly is it enforced? Really? It's not. And this is the problem that football has. It's not, it's not only the problem football's got, Darren. It's the football that this country's got. And I think because yes. the government has been so weak with their own performances in, in, in portraying uh, and, and, and doing as they tell us to do, I think that's where the problem becomes a, a real issue in this country. You know, you hear about the nine parties that have been held in Downing Street and, you know, whilst people weren't able to go and see their loved ones in hospital, weren't able to go to weddings, weren't able to do so many different things that we take uh, for granted at times with our democracy that we live in, when you see what they were doing, and I think this is where now there's a, a real mistrust between the public and the government. It's huge. It's absolutely huge. And it's a major part of it, because if you look at um, the situations in other countries, and I'm talking about, you know, I mean, vaccine uptake amongst footballers is just one example where you see the difference between Italy, Spain, France, Germany, and then you compare it to the Premier League and the EFL. And you're asking the question, well, why is that? Well, one of the reasons is poor leadership. And if you don't have leadership, you don't have education, or you don't have people that are are convincing and you're sceptical about the person telling you to do something, then you are going to make a different decision. And that is a a major problem. Uh, We have had some football this week. We do hope we get some more, but in the right circumstances and if it's safe to continue then we would love nothing more than to see a lot more football over the festive period but Sam, if it isn't okay. then, it, then, then it probably has to stop Can I just make one more point uh, and it's around a jab and I don't want to go down any particular routes I'm not a scientist I'm not somebody who um, is in a position to make any kind of judgments about what people should and shouldn't do what I'm just a little bit uncomfortable with is demonizing people who may be afraid, who may not be aware. And I think it's our job in media to educate. That's all we can do, provide people with as much information as possible to preserve their health. I see a lot of people making judgments about footballers who know nothing about the cultural sensitivities involved. It's about understanding that there are people who are hesitant for significant reasons. And it's our job in media to give people as much information as possible to save their lives. Yeah, and 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 it's also the job of the government to ensure that instead of being instructional and demanding, that they're a little bit more caring and understanding and they convince people with the right methods that it's the right thing to do rather than telling people if you don't do it you ain't going to get this and you ain't going to do that I mean even I mean, 99% of, of uh, the Leeds United squad apparently are, are vaccinated but their CEO saying that there are players uh, that are unjabbed and they will face punitive consequences if they decide not to get jabbed that's not helping the situation I don't think but anyway um, I think that's for debate for another day you get the situation if you're listening to this you, you're wondering 
we're not talking about football. Well, we are. We're talking about the continuation of football because by the time you start listening to this programme, it may well be they've already made the decision that the festive period will not contain any live football this week. We do hope to have some. We certainly did have a smidgen of it this weekend. More frustration for Chelsea, but a fifth clean sheet in seven for Wolves. Chelsea still going through this difficult phase. Full time, Wolves nil, Chelsea nil. We have four days consecutive positive tests. How should it stop if we sit in the bus, if we have dinners and we just uh, stay together like nothing happened? Newcastle United nil, Manchester City won. It's all just chaos really from Newcastle's point of view. Shocking defending, I've no idea what they're doing. Kieran Clark, you're a centre-half. You head the ball, you get it away, then you have a rally goalkeeper. Ruben Diaz with the uh, finish in front of the goalkeeper, Dubravka. And Raheem Sterling has made it Newcastle nil, Manchester City four. There'll be no doubt about this one, no need for VAR. In your calendar, more victories all the time. It's because we have done really well in terms of being there every day, every day, every day. Hummelson has scored here. Alisson's out of disaster. Alisson's out of absolute mess. Referee hasn't had his finest hour and a half here. There's two teams most certainly did. Wonderful game of football. Enough controversy to rewrite war and peace. It finished Spurs 2, Liverpool 2. We should have got a penalty. Tottenham should have had a red card. Our red card is okay. That's um, You can give that. What a feisty game at the new Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Andrew Robertson sent off in the second half. Goals galore. Uh, Harry Kane should have been sent off in the first half. A terrific Harry Kane goal against the run of play. He then missed several chances in the match, literally from three yards out. He missed a one-on-one when he was played in by Deli Alley in the second half as well. Um, two terrific goals for Liverpool. Jota's header was absolutely magnificent in the game. It was a stunning, stunning spectacle of a football match. Uh, but first of all, we must address the elephant in the room, Harry Kane. How on earth did he stay on the pitch? Darren Lewis. Uh, I've got to say he's a lucky man and I think it says a lot about the officiating this weekend. We've had two uh, situations, three situations where the VARs have had a shocker. Um, on Saturday, um, Michael Oliver, the VAR in the game between um, Arsenal and Leeds should have sent off Granit Xhaka for a dangerous challenge. He didn't do that. On sun- Sorry, he should have instructed Andre Marion, the referee, to send him off. Then you had on Sunday the situation uh, in the Manchester City game where um, Edison should have had a penalty given against him for his challenge on, on Newcastle's Ryan Fraser. He didn't do that. Now you've got Kane. And we love Kane and he is obviously, we hold him in the highest regard, but the rules are the same for everybody. And he will be absolutely amazed that he not didn't get sent off for that. He might have said he was going for the ball, but it was a dangerous lunge. He could have. He was oh, travelling. He's out of total control. Total red card. Total red card. Uh, Trevor. Yeah, listen. He was out of control. Um, he was going at some speed. I think you, you have to look at the ferocity with the challenge um, and what could have happened. And the only thing that I can understand why he may not have is his foot was quite low. I think it caught him, caught Robertson on the top of the foot. I think if you start going into the ankle and above, you've got a chance or there's more of a chance of getting sent off. I think because his foot was still quite low, there was a genuine attempt to get the ball. 
Listen, that was just, bu- I, thought it was red, I thought it was a red yeah, card. It is kind you know, of bubbly, yeah. control and he, He's not got anything on the ball. So for me, what, it should be a red card. What you've got is the captain of England and you've got the captain of Scotland. And they've got two different rules for each one. Oh, come off it. It's nothing to do wow. with that. You can't say that. You can't say the Premier League oh, is anti-Scottish. Wait, 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 Dan, what's that? What? Oh, yeah, it is. Red tinted glasses. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, Andrew, Andrew, Robert, Andrew Robertson um, quite rightly has been sent off for swiping the legs of Emerson Royale away. No, I mean, I, I, I jest, but he, he, he could not argue with that decision. That's something, but but the problem. Both, both of them should have been consistency. Of course, yeah, it is. It's the con- inconsistency. That's what it is. It's not the decision. He should have been sent off. But you have to apply the I, rules for everybody. Are you slightly worried about the fact that Liverpool, despite they've been picking up results recently, you know they picked up a result against Newcastle, they picked up a result against Aston Villa. Obviously, this game here today, yeah, they, they haven't been at their fluent best, have they? They've conceded a few chances. They conceded, obviously, conceded two goals in this game to Tottenham, but also um, they, you know, they, they just, they just haven't looked at their utter best. Are you worried about that, Darren? No, not really, because uh, two things. Spurs have clearly improved. Hold on a second. Darren's definitely going to say the words Virgil van Dijk here, isn't he? I forgot. Sorry. Yeah, go he's on. Not, he's not. No, I'm not really that worried because I think there are two things to bear in mind. Absolutely, Spurs look to have improved. They look fitter. They look faster. They look sharper for working with uh, Antonio Conte. So you've got to bear that in mind. The other thing is um, all of the teams in the top three are going to have dips. Chelsea are having theirs. Liverpool will have theirs. City will have theirs too. You know, Trevor, from playing, from when you played, however good you are, there is always a point in the season where you've got to dig in. And this is Liverpool's uh, point now. I think if they can get through this, bounce back again, they'll be fine. He's got Samikas who can come in. So it's not as if he's going to be struggling at left back. I just think it's time for Liverpool to dig in and hold their nerve during this little period. The only surviving Premier League fixture today. Testing times for one and all. But the show goes on at Ellen Road. Lacazette is in here with a great chance. Melier's made a save. It's turned just wide. What a chance. Here's Lacazette just outside the penalty area. Trying to feed the uh, supporting Erdegaard. Down he goes. It's come for Martinelli. Arsenal lead in Ellen Road. Rafinha now can run at Tierney. He's just outside the Arsenal penalty area. Rafinha on the ball. Onto his left foot. Oh, to pull it wide. Picked off by Shaka. And Martinelli's in here with another good chance. Martinelli. 2-0. Beautifully taken. Granit Xhaka with a piercing through ball. Saka, edge of the penalty area, run through some challenges. Lacazette, Saka takes over again, still inside the Leeds box, finds space for Sean, scores! And Arsenal lead by three goals to nil. Saka looking to return the ball to him, now burst forward to the edge of the penalty area. Martinelli, Saka with a shot, and that's just wide. And now Gelhard does have a chance, and down he goes with a challenge from White and a penalty given. Rafinha takes, and blast to the roof of the net. Arsenal come forward with Erdegaard, 15 metres outside the penalty area. Smith rows in oh. and Smith rows scored, and it's 4-1 to Arsenal. Leeds United look nervously over their shoulder now at the four teams below them in the Premier League. Final score at Ellen Road is Leeds United 1, Arsenal 4. Arsenal against Leeds United. I mean, how much of this, uh, Trevor Sinclair, can you put down to Arsenal being very, very good, and how much... Can you put down to the fact that Leeds United have just lost complete momentum? 
I think a little bit of both, but you have to um, appreciate that Arsenal are now fourth in the Premier League. And we talk about philosophies, we talk about lots of different principles and this, that and the other in football. Arteta's got all his best players back. They've gelled. He's been quite harsh, in my opinion, with the captain. Uh, we don't know the exact details of what, what's gone on there with Aubameyang, but the players that are on the pitch and the players that are playing for Arteta are doing that in a 100% way. And I think you have to give massive credit to the kids because if it wasn't for the kids, Arsenal Football Club wouldn't be in the position they're in. They've shown an amazing amount of resilience, courage, uh, maturity and quality. And I think quality is where you have to start with this group of players. Martinelli, you know, he has been a little bit injury prone. The goals that he scored, we know that he's got something special. He's lightning quick. He can finish. He's got a real eye for goal. He started to show more consistency. We know what Saka's all about. And then Smith Rowe is really starting to come into his own. I've seen him play a few times last year when there was a lot of big things being said about him. I even said some good things about him regarding similarities to Paul Merce and how he plays in the future, how you know he's, he's two or three passes ahead of the play. Um, but again, you know, he's using him sparingly. He came off the bench to score a goal. He, he's getting a lot right at the moment, Arteta. And, and, and on the flip side of that, Marcelo Bielsa, he's got a lot of injuries to key, key players. And... Uh, I'd be concerned if I was a Leeds fan. Apart from the top four, and maybe five if you include West Ham in that, and we think it's probably going to be West Ham, Man United, Man City, Chelsea, and Liverpool towards the top end of the table, are Arsenal, Darren, the best of the rest? They they, they beat everybody else below them, sometimes stumble against someone like Everton or or draw a game that they shouldn't draw, but are they the best of the rest? Is that the, the most they can aim at? I'm still not quite sure. I mean, it's, it's better than last year. I mean, this time last year, they were 15th in the table, weren't they? And they were really floundering. I mean, now they're they're going to finish in the top four this year in the top four for the first time in five years. Yeah, a year ago this week, they'd lost to Everton and there were serious doubts about Arteta's job. So you're absolutely right about them being far better than they were last year. They're rebuilding the side around that young core that you were talking about, Trevor. I'm just, I'm think, I'm trying to consider what, what my answer is to your saying best of the rest because they've played more games than many of the teams around them. So say Spurs win all their games in hand and then Man United win their games in hand, then you get a more representative look at the table. Yeah. And actually Arsenal are then behind those two teams. And if West Ham get back into form, let's assume that West Ham don't play the next couple of games if they shut down. But then by the time West Ham play again, they've got games in hand that they're able to win. Then you get an even more representative look of the table. So what they've done so far, you can't criticise Arsenal for because what you know they've only beat what's put in front of them and they've done well to do that. But I just want to caution against getting carried away too soon. They're decent, but at the moment, you know, Leeds got back into it yesterday. If, if if they were a better side, Leeds could have tested them in that second half and it could have been 3-3. Now that's interesting. And that's how because Leeds have no COVID cases in their first team squad, but had nine players unavailable, Trevor, through injury or suspension last night, eight of whom yeah. would probably have made Bielsa's starting eleven. Calvin Phillips, Patrick Bamford, Dan James being just three of those. They had uh, they had a 15-year-old, Archie Gray, the great nephew of the club legend Eddie Gray, on the bench. And that just shows you the paucity of the options. Is that Marcelo Bielsa's fault for wanting to work with a small squad? Um, you could say that. Um, but again, he's brought some kids through from the academy uh, into the first team. So he's not scared of doing that. If he gets a chance to work with them, he can do the due diligence, make sure the kid's ready. 
and uh, give him the information and, and, and work with him on the training pitch so that when he does get the opportunity, he'll do he'll do well. Um, I mean, I think it does show that they've got a lack of a depth in squad. They have got a ridiculous amount of injuries. And as, like I said at the top, a lot of key players that are missing. Some of them you could put down to misfortune, but I think the fact that they work so hard in training with a smaller squad, there's not as much rotation as a lot of the other big teams. I think that could be partially to blame. Um, and then also recruitment, you know, did they recruit well enough in the summer? They had a good first season back in the Premier League. Um, a, a lot of people were saying good things about them. But that was the time for me to really improve the squad. I think they spent 55 million, but most of that was on Dan James. Um, they maybe should have got a few more players in just to pad out that squad and, and, and give the option if they did get the injury problems, which we're now seeing they have. Um, in terms of... Um... The Arsenal attack, no Pierre-Emerick or Bamiang who's been banished to train with the under-23s as a result of his uh, uh, late return from a foreign trip. But it hasn't been too problematic for Mikel Arteta so far. They beat West Ham and now Leeds United and have embraced the form of Gabriel Martinelli. I think he only scored two goals in 22 games last season. He got two in 12 first half minutes yesterday, Darren. Yeah, he should have had a hat trick. Actually, I mean, he, he, he was way, way Don't too get greedy, good. Darren. Don't get greedy. <laughs> um, yeah, I think as far as Abamyang is concerned, I'm a little bit dismayed by that one because I think there were times when he carried that club on his back. You know, single-handedly won the VFA Cup, uh, saved Arteta's job in many situations. He was the only player for a very long time scoring away from home when no one else was pitching in, and again keeping Arteta in the job and first chance he's got Arteta's throwing overboard that Trevor can probably speak more to how these kind of things play out in the dressing room. But I just think that given what Aubameyang's done for Arsenal and for Arteta, it could have been handled a bit more discreetly. I just felt it was quite humiliating to make a big announcement, big song and dance about it, leave the thing being trailed if you like yeah, but sometimes leadership it. requires difficult decision making doesn't it it does it, does, does. But it, it also does, requires but... respect mm. as well and I think that you know you, it's okay to do that when things are going your way but when things don't go your way when you're going to go through a difficult period and you need people on side people remember that imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt now imagine them getting even softer over time that's what you'll feel with bowl and branches organic cotton sheets in a recent customer survey 96 percent replied that bowl and branch sheets get softer with every wash start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come try their sheets with a 30 night guarantee plus get 15 percent off your first order at bowlandbranch.com Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. 
With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Wolverhampton Wanderers nil, Chelsea nil. And we spoke a little bit about COVID postponements prior to the start of uh, our review of the games itself. The, the big story on Sunday, really, especially in the early part of the day, was whether or not this cha- game between Chelsea and Wolves was going to go ahead. And, and Darren, Chelsea did not want it to. And Thomas Tuchel is absolutely furious about the fact that it did go ahead. And as a result of that, Chelsea didn't really perform up to scratch. Second half, they were much better. They had the best chance of the game when Christian Pulisic was denied by Jose Sarr. An excellent save, by the way. But it's more drop points for Chelsea. How much of the manager's fury do you think translated into the dressing room? I think a lot of it. Um, it's two wins from six now. And his tone ahead of the Wolves game was very different to the one ahead of the Everton game. I was at that game and before the match, he said, no, we play. We don't care. We're going to uh, we'll follow all the rules. And he was very, very upbeat. And I think that was a, an attempt to maybe channel some optimism into his dressing room who were on that poor run. But they didn't win that match. They haven't won this match. And the problem, in a way, I feel sorry for Chelsea because they will get zero sympathy from lots of people who will look at their squad and say, you have the best squad in the Premier League. And just because they're going through a bad run, that does not change. They've got a £100 million striker that they don't start. They have a fabulous squad. So uh, when, when, when Tuchel turns around and says, oh, we're struggling... And I saw you on the Sunday session, I heard you rather, talk about the comments of Bruno Lager, who said, look, we've only had three defenders from the start, three central defenders from the start. And yet we, we've, we've managed to keep going four clean sheets out of the last six ahead of this game yeah. for yeah. Wolves. So the issue, the issue is Darren they had four outfield players on the bench and given circumstances elsewhere in the Premier League I think the expectation is is if you've only got 30 what is it 14 outfield players 15 outfield players that are available to you the expectation was is that they would have been given the opportunity to postpone the game they the suggestion is that their training ground was still open so therefore as a result of that they've sort of almost paid the price for trying to continue and that's one of the reasons why Thomas Tuchel is upset is that fair? It's fair because they've almost been (coughs) penalised for trying to do exactly what the Premier League want to do which is keep calm and carry on Hmm. but and what we may see now is clubs decide, you know what, we've had a couple of cases, let's just close our training ground. The other issue is, is that they didn't have any under-23s on the bench. And well, that might have been because they wanted is, to keep them in a separate bubble. Exactly. The argument is, is that they may well want to keep them in a separate bubble, but uh, other clubs in. that haven't test done them that. Back in. Te- P- PCR test the under-23s that you want involved, test them back in to the first team. But you don't know you need them until it's too late. That that might well have been the argument today. Or be proactive and, 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 and think about what could happen and bring them in then. I mean, the fact of the matter is, I was at the Everton game doing the commentary midweek. They weren't good enough. They were good enough, but they weren't clinical enough. And they're massively missing Lukaku. I wouldn't say Werner so much because he's not clinical anyway, but Havertz is somebody that can put the ball in the back of the net. I think Thomas Suchel's kind of, he plays his 3-4-3 and it's, it's, it's fantastic formation and the players all understand it. But I think he's almost tried to replicate what Manchester City do, which is 
you know, dictate play, play with three players in the front line who none of them are strikers, out-and-out strikers. They can rotate and they'll have the same effect as Manchester City. It's not happening. And the reason why it's not happening is because you haven't got full-backs, you've got two wing-backs, so you've only got two wide players. Whereas Manchester City, when they play against you, you've got the two wide players and they've got the full-backs. Creating overloads... Another thing that I noticed in the game against Everton, which I, I will probably be replicated against Wolves, I've not seen the game, but what I would say is I looked at the amount of goals that Wolves have conceded, it's 14. They're a very oppressed side when it comes to creativity and going forward. They, they don't play expansive football. They play to defend a lead and if they can break and score on you, they will do. Now, I feel it, to do it once against Everton and, and realise it, didn't quite work, although they did create a lot of chances. This game, they're playing against a much more resilient defence. 14 goals conceded. There's only the top three who've got less than that or or the same as that. So you're playing against a team that are very savvy in keeping clean sheets and not conceding goals. I think Thomas Tuchel made a mistake putting the same line out and trying the same thing which failed against Everton well, in this he, game. Well, he didn't really have much choice, did he? Because there, he had the players... Well, he could, have changed, he could have changed the formation, Sam. Well, how could he... Who could he play where? where well, he could have played Aspilicueta right back and he could have played Reese James right wing. They're playing against Wolves. That's, I don't think they have to worry too much about uh, defending. That's, round, that, 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 that's square pegs in round holes, though, isn't it? Is it? Right. But needs must. I mean, if you're up against a side that aren't too, they, they don't score many goals. Uh, they're not that fussed about going forward. You, what you need is to give them something different to worry about. They are prepared for the way that you play. Give them something different, particularly given that you'd only won two of your previous five games. You can't keep going with the same plan. The definition of insanity and all that, mm. give them something different to but worry Chelsea, about. And see Chelsea have been floundering for a couple of weeks, haven't they, really? I mean, uh, you, you and I, all, both of you have been working with me on this podcast for long enough to know that even when they were doing particularly well at the beginning of the season, I didn't think that they necessarily deserved to keep as many clean sheets as they were because they were still conceding chances. Their XG was telling you that. But they're, they're now in a situation where they're not scoring again. And that is really frustrating because they spent so much money on strikers and attack-minded players, but yet they cannot, for whatever reason, get Havertz on the score sheet, Werner on the score sheet, Lukaku on the score sheet. I mean, they can't even get those three on the pitch at the moment because all three of them have tested positive for COVID-19. But it is a real problem for Chelsea. For Wolverhampton Wanderers, you know, very, very impressive defensively. I mean, they are literally the most boring team when it comes to (laughs) entertainment value because games just never have any goals in them. It's just It's one for the purists. I mean, I really enjoy fixture. The the binary fixtures. 1-0-1-0-0-1-1-1-0-1-1. It's like a digital printout. It's a nightmare. 13 goals they've scored all season. 13 goals that so far. Mo Salah's got twice that. I mean, it's, it's just an absolute joke, isn't it? Oh, breathe, you've not got, you've not got the players, they're eighth they're in the table. Oh, listen, they did a brilliant job. They've maximised the talent they've Brilliant-lized got. Brilliant. Brilliantly. And you know what? Actually, you say, I say that they're not the most entertaining. They're not as bad to watch now as they were under Nuno Espirito Santo. They're actually quite, yeah, they ha- do have a little bit more about them. They just can't finish off chances, which is a real issue uh, for them and probably a real issue for their manager as well. I'm sure he's not very happy uh, about that. Um, Chelsea um, obviously are hoping to play in midweek against Brentford in the EFL Cup. 
quarterfinal, supposed to be on live on TalkSport. I think the chances of that going ahead are slim to none, bearing in mind Tuchel doesn't want to play anymore and nor does Thomas Frank. And, you know, they must obviously both be on the same hymn sheet in that regard. And I I guess that they'll come up with something to ensure that they don't have to play those quarterfinals. But we shall see. Because one of the other big problems that we've got is we've got so many displaced fixtures now and nowhere to play them. I mean, it's just going to be impossible to cram it all in, and that again is a neg- negligence on the on the on the um, on, on the football authorities in the country because ultimately they've done nothing to prepare for that scenario, which was inevitable. And, and, the, and the other thing is, I think a big part of the problem. I don't know if you two agree with this is that we want it always, or rather, the football authorities do. They want to get the game <clears throat> stage, but they want fans inside the stadium as well. And I don't think that, well, we've made the point already, we have hundreds of thousands of fans troubling up and down the country on these match days, which is sending the the transmission rates through the roof. So maybe have one or the other. Either you have no football, have a circuit breaker and come back, or you carry on, but you have football behind closed doors so that you're not putting people's health at risk. But the, you're talking about the problem with this country. The problem in this country is we want it all. Yep, we I want agree with you. To be able to not go into lockdown, but we don't want to wear masks. You know, we, we don't want to do all the things that would prevent a lockdown. We don't want to go into a lockdown, but we want to cram onto tube trains and buses, whatever, travel up and down the country to go and then go into stadiums. And then when the games are on, we want to hug each other. We want to sing to our heart's content and, you know, hug the We're desperate for normality, Darren. We're desperate. And that's that's what's being portrayed. Absolutely. But at the same time, we are putting health at risk and we have to accept we can't have all things always. Talking of uh, normality, Manchester City have absolutely wiped the floor with Newcastle United. 4-0 the uh, victory. Uh, Ruben Diaz scoring the goal that he will never score an easier goal than the one he scored in the first five minutes because the defending from Kieran Clark and Martin Dubravka was absolutely outrageously bad. Cancelo, fantastic. Uh, As always, scored a brilliant goal, set up that goal for Diaz. Mares scored as well. Another goal for him, his 50th goal in the Premier League and Raheem Sterling who always scores against Eddie Howe's team. He's never scored more goals against another manager before in his entire career. He's scored so many goals. 12 goals against Eddie Howe's uh, teams in about 13 games or something. Ridiculous. He's definitely not getting a Christmas card off of uh, Ready Steady Eddie. Um, But um, afterwards, Pep Guardiola, very interestingly, uh, saying that uh, he, uh, he, he (laughs) he didn't rotate his squad Today, he didn't rotate his squad today. He just picked players who deserve to play on and off the pitch. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, reading between the lines, we all know what's, what potentially seems like it's gone on. It seems like there's, there's been a bit of a breach. There's been a bit of a, a Christmas party of some form. And um, it, it, listen, there's only one boss at Manchester City and the players know that. And if they've been caught out and... You know, the spies all over Manchester and Cheshire. Um, so, yeah, they'll be, um, they will be feeling that the players that were dropped. Well, apparently, they pre- will be feeling it quite hard as well. I think apparently it hurts. Somewhat, mm-hmm. but... Yeah. I mean, listen, just going back, I know you don't really want to go over the goals again, but I looked at all the goals. I'm happy Re- to go over the goals. I think we should go over the goals because the goals were really good. The Cancelo goal was one of the best goals I've seen this week. Yeah. And, but I, was... and I saw the Alexander Arnold goal. It was a great goal. 
but if you're not going to go and put, put, put pressure on the ball, if you're going to play passively, you're going to get absolutely destroyed by Manchester City. No one engaged him. He had two, three, four touches, moved the ball, got it onto his favourite right foot and smashed it past the Brafka. The first goal, you mentioned the Brafka. For me, he had no chance. Kieran Kalak, the ball's there to be headed. Even if you think the goalkeeper's coming, head the ball. We can have a chat about it later. It's basic defending. So that's a schoolboy error. Two goals, the Raheem goal and the goal prior to that, which were both crosses into the box from the left. Richie's too expensive. He's playing too cavalier. You've got to play negatively against Manchester City. Get in. If you win the ball back, then you can break. He's the opposite way around. He's looking, thinking, this is going to break down. I want to be five yards further forward. And in both cases, he couldn't affect the ball going into the net because of what happened after he thought there was going to be a mistake. So all of the goals, I'm sure Eddie Howe has told the boys this. And this is why, for me, you're not talking about two or three players at Newcastle that need to change if they're going to have any chance of staying up. I think the whole defence needs changing and possibly even the goalkeeper. He, not, he does make world-class saves, but also from, I just feel that that whole back line needs changing and they're going to have to bring in a lot of players if they want a chance to stay up. Listen, as far as Newcastle are concerned, first of all, I, I, I agree. I, I Initially, I thought to myself, what they need is a leader at the back, somebody who's going to get them making decisions. There's going to have to be some very, very ruthless decision-making at that football club. And I think nobody can complain, certainly not in that back line. They've all had chances. They've all had a run of games and they've not done well enough, which is why they are where they are. What does fascinate me is where they are going to find these players and also what worries me is that they don't yet have a sporting director mm. because they risk becoming another Everton they, they've well, hired Nicky Hammond haven't they as, as a temporary sort of transfer advisor consultant uh, that's, that's, that's a fudge really you need a clear plan a clear direction. Do they want Brian Marwood? And they are they waiting till the the summer for that? Is that not is that not the case? Well, there's been talk today that they want Dan Ashworth from Brighton as well, and there are a couple of other candidates too. So it, it is still very much up in the air. And I've got to tell you, this close to the transfer window, that should not be the case. Well, there's too much work to do, Darren. I mean, one. I think it caught everyone on the on the off when when the piracy um, situation was resolved in uh, the kingdom. And from there, for me, the first port of call, forget about manager, get a director of football in. Because oh, a director of football almost supersedes a manager because he's a head of recruitment, he's head of what direction the club wants to go in. And he when they your vision for the football club. When they didn't do that... the players you need. Sorry, yeah, When they didn't do that, I thought, does this board actually know how to run a football club? Hey, no, listen, I don't know how to run a football club, but from a football perspective, I've been in the game, this is my fourth decade in serious professional football. The, the most important thing is the person who brings in not only the players, but also the coaches, the management, because it's a ripple effect. It's, it's almost like a domino effect. You're going in and you've got three or four dominoes and then you've got the manager. So they've missed that bit out. They've got the manager in, but there's still a lot of stuff that needs to be sorted out within the club. You see, if you, look at club, wrong way. if you look at a club like Liverpool, not only do they have good technicians, they've got hard workers and they've got players who, when they're left out, 
they know to respect the rest of Good the lads. They Good recruited lads. personalities as well as ability, didn't they? Absolutely. Same at West Ham. Now, now that Moyes is bringing players in, he knows he's got a good group. So anyone who comes in, they don't just have to be good footballers. They have to complement that group. If you don't, you get situations like you have. I won't name the other clubs out of respect for them, but there are situations at other clubs where they're just a mess. And Manchester United. <laughs> All right, I will say Everton, well. <laughs> Everton, Everton, Everton. I, I Same again, mess, yeah. you know, they spent uh, half a billion pounds. But they did have a sporting director. They just didn't have a very good one. They just didn't have a very good one, and that's why we say the one that you've got to get right—not just get someone in, but you've got to get it right. He's got to have a good vision. Your club, Chelsea. When Emanalo came in, he was low maintenance. He had a deep contacts book. He made good decisions. And you guys have been kings of Europe. You've been kings of the Premier League on a number of times. And you've got a really strong model. But other clubs who are trying to replicate it, they don't have the right people in place. And that's why they're struggling. And that's why, for me, Newcastle look as though they're going to struggle too. Well, they're definitely going to struggle. I think it'd be very difficult for them to survive in the Premier League. 10 points from 18 games. And they're in a situation where Watford, Burnley both have games in hand over them. Burnley got three games in hand over them. Uh, Manchester City steaming forward. They're purring. They've broken the record for the number of uh, games won in top flight football over a calendar year. Congratulations to them. They're beating the record that was set by Liverpool in 1982. And they just... Huh? And goals scored. I was getting there, Trev. It's okay. Don't worry. We haven't forgotten. <laughs> All right. It's okay. I know you're not wearing your blue tinted glasses. Last week when we did the podcast, right, Darren? He if actually was wearing season, blue tinted glasses. It, I, if they win the league this year, I think it's his, one of the performances of the decade. And I'll tell you why. No striker last year was one thing. No striker this year was the much more competitive title race is quite something. And for them to be where they are, I know there are lots of twists and turns to go, so I don't want to go ahead of myself, but if he pulls it off this year, goodness me, easily the manager of the year. Okay. Um, thank you very much for joining us. I really appreciate it. It was a fantastic podcast. It was brilliant. And it was great to have you here. It seems much better without Crook, doesn't it, really? It seems just rolled <laughs> so much smoother. You are horrible. Yeah, I know. We're only joking, Alex. We're only no, joking. We love you, really. Um, enjoy your Christmas, everybody. Uh, hopefully, we're going to be back on Thursday to bring you sort of a, a, a preview to the Boxing Day fixtures. Well, we will be back on Thursday, whatever happens with uh, the Premier League meeting over the course of the next 24, 48 hours. So stay tuned to TalkSport. All the breaking news is available for you there. Download our app. You flip between the two stations. Lots of darts and stuff like that to come over the next few days as well. You're listening uh, to the Game Day podcast from TalkSport. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. Expert opinions? We share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18+, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. 
Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.